way. So a big welcome to everybody who's here. Um, I'm Jenny Stanley, Founder and Director, Managing Director of Appetite Creative. I'm really excited to have everyone here. Um, you are joining us on our fourth webinar in the series of looking at the future of marketing and advertising. Today's webinar is looking at gaming and esports and the impact that COVID-19 has had. It's basically pushed this sector into overdrive with huge audiences of global players engaging with gaming every day. The popularity of gaming is soaring and the market is really giving the rewards. Newsu predicted that the gaming industry value will rise to almost 160 billion US dollars this year, this year. And much of that, of course, is due to the increase of people locked down and looking for entertainment. So we really felt that this was something that we needed to look a little more into, lift the lid on the subject and find out the real opportunities for marketers and brands. Today's webinar will be broken into three different parts. The first part will be chaired by Victoria Usher, CEO and founder of Ginger May. And she will be joined today by John Hook, VP of Publishing at Boombit, which is one of the world's largest mobile game publishers. James Draper will be joining those. On the city, he is the CEO and founder of BizTech, which are an in-gaming ad platform that bridges the gap between gamers, developers and advertisers. And Anil Mystery, head in gaming at Endemol, with a career spanning so many gaming companies and brands, he currently works at Endemol, leading global brand licensing deals across the gaming and iGaming industry. After that, we will then be looking at um, the psychology behind gaming and gamification, why it works and why brands should be thinking about entering that space. And then finally, we will hear from Oliver Weingarten, who is the CEO and founder of London United, a London-based organisation which provides the path for gamers to go into professional. They will look into a myth-busting session, looking at all the different things around esports um, and the stigmas and some of those um, real potentials that really need to be undercovered um, from the esports arena. So first I'm going to hand over to you, Victoria. Um, you're looking at the gaming sector, uh, what the opportunities for brands and how you can really reach audiences that you can't reach anywhere else. Thank you, Jen. Absolutely. Um, just in our catch up just a minute ago uh, with James, Anil and John, we were talking about this and, you know, briefings sometimes go off topic and to be honest with you there's so much we could talk about today and go into so many different areas you know they are an incredibly knowledgeable panel um, and there are so many different angles like I say to talk about um, you know the last 12 months gaming and esports has been positioned as, as a huge opportunity um, for brands and marketers to reach their audiences for, for normal people like me on the street who have seen this just suddenly pop up these guys obviously have been embedded in this for many many years and know it um, at a very deep level um, there are lots of issues ad blocking's on the rise and traditional ad channels are on decline and obviously brands and advertisers are always on the lookout for new innovative ways that they can interact with their audiences and gaming is one of the obvious solutions for this um, as jen said and as we'll talk a little bit more about in our panel the pandemic has only increased this opportunity um, as people have been in lockdown um, 
huge market. This is absolutely enormous. Uh, the total UK advertising market was worth 24 billion and digital ads accounted for 13 billion of that figure. And just this week, Walk reported that brand investment, including advertising and sponsorship in esports, is set to rise 10% worldwide um, in 2020. It's absolutely huge. But to use gaming as an effective tool and a fundamental part of any ad strategy, brands really do need to educate themselves about the opportunities available, the audiences they can reach, and how to implement strategies that can fit cohesively with their existing ad placements. So with that in mind, this stellar panelist, uh, panelists will help us to understand some of the common misconceptions around gaming and esports, and there are many, what the opportunity is for advertisers, um, and how gaming complements more traditional ad strategies, uh, as, as well as what's next for the industry. So um, I will kick off just going into the first question because Jen's already introduced everybody. Um, I would like to start with common misperceptions that are around gaming, and I'm gonna put that one to you, James, please. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for inviting me on. Much appreciated. Um, common misconceptions, as just mentioned to you just before we came on here, I think one of the main issues is that it's, it, it's, it's way too broad. Like when people discuss we should be in gaming, what is, you know, um, or, or esports, it's so broad because gaming is so, it's, it's, it's so segmented. Um, it's different genres, um, the different territories, uh, the different platforms, different, it's, it's very, it's a bit like going, um, yeah, how, how, how do brands reach gamers, like how do they reach, or what should they be communicating to, to, to gamers, you can't do like a broad brush over it, it's a bit like going, okay, what, how do we, how do we communicate to people who are watching TV, or like sports, or it's such a vast subject to sort of to, to cover, so, it's not like a 16 to 24 year old boy sitting in a dark room. Uh, I mean, it can be, you know, it can, it can be. I think it's it's a, where we've gone down uh, the path of our, our company, you know, obviously you're, you're educating. Educating is the main sort of piece which we're, we're doing when it comes to brands and it comes to investors. Um, and it's, it's, there's a lot of people like to jump on the facts and go in, you know, there's, they, 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 they grab stats that kind of like fit their narrative and go, look, more, more people, more women play games than, than, than men. Now, maybe overall, um, but that's encompassing things like Candy Crush and bit, you know, real sort of casual grab and go games. Um, but if you look at sort of the, the sort of the historical market in terms of simulation based titles, RPGs, first person shooters, um, then, then you go to, it's, it is more skewed towards the male audience. It, it depends again by territory, the type of games played in Asia are very different from the games which are played in mainland Europe and the certain pockets of, of Europe which are really sort of emerging in terms of, you know, Poland's really got a real sort of stronghold and, and, and we see the, the, the number of titles coming out of there being very, very interesting. North America, South America, it's all very, it's all very different. Um, so I think it's one of the, the, the issues is that agencies, you know, when we first pivoted into, into, into gaming from where we were initially when we were digital out of home, we moved into to gaming in 2017, there was one of the sort of the, the, the fundamental pieces when we were looking at moving into this into this space was that the big ad agency holding groups didn't have specific people looking after brand activations for uh, to try and reach gamers, which is you know that's it. and then now there is there's all pockets, there's departments set up and, and each of them are, are, are kind of leaning into the into the space, but it's 
it's a very complicated space to try and sort of immediately get up to speed on. Um, the nuances, the way in which which gamers are, you know, I'm sure Neil and, and John will talk about it as, as well. They're, they're extremely loyal, um, so and they'll be extremely brand loyal towards their, their their particular platform, their particular title. They feel real buy-in. It's a bit like someone who follows a movie franchise or follows a football team or whatever. There's a real sort of um, attachment. So it's it's a it's a challenge. It's not being. It's, it's almost like I think. I said this like the the people who end up in gaming and the people who end up in ad agencies are pretty much separated from the playground outwards. So it's it's and both worlds have done extremely well without each other. Um, and particularly actually as, as the gaming market's gone further towards free to play, it's uh, iterative income is now something which they're they're used to. So rather than being like one one bit of cash up top and then they've got to try and um, yeah they, they don't get any more any more income until the next game ships from that particular user that's obviously evolved and changed so therefore for the power in which brand advertising would have had in terms of iterative income uh has kind of, sort of got away a little bit in terms of using it as a, as a as a carrot the most important piece for brands is to is to realize that you're placing if you think of it like a film you think about the case about you're trying to place your brand into a film and the respect you'd have to go in terms of going through like a Spielberg and going, I want to put my brand in, in there in a seamless environment. It's the same type of thing, but the, the audience are really passionate about it and very vocal. You know, they'll jump on things like Reddit and um, flame certain games and certain studios if they do things which which they don't agree with. So it's it's a difficult landscape to navigate, but that's, you know, that's, I think there's been a, there's been a breakthrough. There's been a breakthrough. I think, you know, we'll come on to it later on, but the COVID, the COVID sort of situation has forced agencies to innovate and it's, um, that's been beneficial for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Anil. Can I put the question to you now? What are you? Um, what's your? What's your understanding of the misconceptions around this? Yeah, I mean, if if I if I look at it from the kind of uh, brand's perspective, I've, I've worked with a lot of IPs in the past, and I've worked with a lot of kind of advertising partners in the past. So brands of both sorts. I think it's. It, I think one of the key things is, yeah, going back to the, the very first thing that James was saying is that it's not just boys in their bedrooms playing games. Brands have a certain affinity with different audiences and I think advertisers can't really ignore that. I mean, um, so if I think about the various TV show brands I've worked with, they have their core fan bases and if you create a game around that brand, you are immediately going to attract that audience first off the bat. It doesn't matter how old they are, providing it's on a platform um, that they're used to playing on. So, you know, if, if, if it's a kind of 50s plus, most of them will have uh, kind of 50s, 60s plus. They'll have mobile phones, they'll play mobile games. And that, you know, that's usually quite a lucrative market. So advertisers have to think about, you know, that if, if, a, if an IP and a brand is in the game, you, you, they need to tune into that audience and what the demographic of, of that audience. Um, yeah, totally. So I think that, that is a, a misconception. It's, a, it's, a, it's one that can lead, lead to a lot of um, misrevenues along the way. So you can build audiences, essentially. Yeah, you can, you can totally. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, um, from a, again, from a, a brand holder's perspective, if they can um, kind of work in with that kind with the right brands and associate themselves to those right demographics, they can attract the audiences and create new friends of their brands basically. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. John. 
Yeah, I, I, th I think the, the biggest challenge, I, I mean, I've done agency side, sort of exchange and network side and now making games. I, I think it's this, this, this label premium, right? A lot of people are like, oh, well, I can only have my brand in a premium environment. So it comes back to really this misconception around the gaming audience and the value that audience has versus the attached value a brand would put on a TV audience or an out of home audience. Um, but I think that that really has changed, right? Um, you know, now on the kind of game developer side, we actually think the same way when we build games or make content, we're thinking about the relevant match to an audience. So we think very similar ways to the to how brands plan their campaigns. But I, I think these sort of outdated labels around the gaming audience are starting to disappear now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think James's point is also key with my sort of agency hat on. From a planning perspective, gaming is quite difficult, right? Because, you know, eSports is a live event. So does that sit with my sponsorship team, my experiential team, you know, mobile games? I mean, that's my kind of digital team. But if we're talking about, you know, the stuff that, that Anil um, is right in the heartland of sort of IP-based games, well, is that my digital team? Is that my sponsorship team? So that could be a challenge from a kind of planning perspective, whereas, you know, you know, TV or connected TV kind of sits in one team. So I think that is also an additional challenge when it comes to gaming, depending on what you're what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. Okay, let's move on to uh, COVID because, you know, there's been many losers, but there have been winners and certainly gaming and esports is one. Um, Anil, can I just pass that question over to you? So impact on the industry of the last few months with COVID, please. Um, so yeah, as, as, you, as you mentioned, there's been so much gameplay, so many people are playing games. We've seen revenues grow exponentially, certainly for this kind of time of year, which has been really, really exciting. Um, talking to a few of the game developers that we work with and some of the publishers, it's been an interesting journey because you would kind of assume that it's booming and it's working for everyone and there's so much more to do. And I was talking to a few partners in the console space where where they've got games live it's brilliant because they're available to purchase everything's good um, people have got a lot more time on their hands but where a few of them have had challenges is actually um for the when they've got games in development so it's, it's reorganizing their teams um getting qa staff trying to work with the platforms to make sure that they've got the right staff in place to sign off their game so they've um, a number of companies I've worked with have had difficulties for the games and development. Launch dates have slipped. Um, so there's that kind of industry impact which COVID has had. So if you're there already, it's great. But if you're, if you're about to launch, there's a lot more challenges. Got it. Thank you. John, what have you seen at Boombit? Yeah, I, I think it varies on the, the game genre. So for our sort of free-to-play games, um, it's, been, it's been great. We've seen no, no difference. Um, at all between sort of player behavior during the week and the weekends it's all blended into one so usually you see this nice pattern of sort of snackable times during the day and big peaks at weekend but actually kind of covid has looked a lot like christmas to us um not just in terms of revenue but actually also in terms of um uh, player behavior as well um but actually in our sort of more rpg midcore titles um you know the, the, we've already heard this word loyal we've not seen a huge difference, right? Um, because people generally really engage in those titles. So we've, we've not seen a huge difference. Of course, revenue has gone up a little bit because, um, you know, there is a little bit more, um, 
time available to play on these games. But but our kind of free to play games have um, have seen a huge increase in sort of playtime install time. However, interestingly, it's not had that direct impact on revenue because, of course, what's happened on that side is roughly you get this 70 30 split of sort of gaming brand ads a lot of the brands have hit the pause button so you've kind of seen ecpms decline a little bit so whilst it's been great to get all these kind of new players and eyeballs into our games it, it hasn't necessarily mean like we've we've 5x 5x revenue and the other interesting insight is for free to play games is it's, it's, it's made the games more competitive because before people were sort of playing in these bite-sized chunks, whereas certainly for our hyper-casual games, they're almost playing all day, every day, so that they're jumping between, their, their appetite for games has gone up. So this, you know, uh, to give you a rough idea, we can get a game to market in about four to six weeks for hyper-casual. So the speed at which we've now had to operate and the number of titles we've had to bring out to basically satisfy this global consumer demand for hyper casual games has, has, has been a bit crazy but um, definitely we're seeing things return to normal now in our free-to-play games so a more established sort of weekday and sort of weekend gaming behaviors so behavior starting to return yeah to what you would have seen beforehand interesting yeah. okay yeah interesting uh, James so you're the leading business in the sector have you seen uh, a big change through COVID talk about yes Bidstack has um, so a couple of points there as I listened to what Anna and John were saying so um, yes from our point of view if we're talking about the advertising side first so the advertising piece uh, yes because uh, particularly as out of home budgets have been difficult to justify in Q2 it's, it's, it's that disruption to the advertising business as usual has definitely been beneficial for us same thing for real world sports and to come on to the effect of esports a bit later on in terms of, of, of the knock-on effect of commercial rights holders with that yes um on the gaming side on the two two major console launches happening this year um our sources told us a while ago that one of them was was struggling to get hardware production up to levels that were required and the other one was struggling with getting software uh ready for the launch title probably wouldn't take too much work to work out which one's which um, then from the other side from um, from a studio perspective as kind of like John was saying there you know a couple of the triple the, the studios we've been working with um, weren't set up for a global pandemic in terms of their business continuity strategy so um, they didn't even have laptops for their staff I won't name who it is um, so some of their times have, have fallen behind um, as you would expect so trying to get up to speed everyone adapted relatively quickly but you then look at like football manager our friends that, who are just based over the road and we obviously work with um they have always operated on a model of of 40 50 quid if you buys buys you that iteration of the game and they make no money over the course of the, of the year of the title they ran for the first time like a a, a trial try for two weeks and then offer to a new and it's one of those games which you can't just drop after spending the first week setting your team up and then you're up and underway and you want to see how well your team's going to do so they had a, had a at over 50% sign up continuation. So it's been really good for them. But I think some of the other pieces, like just mentioned there, what John's mentioned about the, the behavior in terms of, 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 of the gamers. Yes, you know, we, we again, if we, if we want to sort of start playing stats towards our favor, we've seen a 250% spike in terms of ad requests come through our platform due to more people playing, working from home, 
um, you know, and it's it, that's that great level of, of, of consumption. But that, the knock-on effects actually is going to be felt a bit further down the, the road in probably in the world of esports as well. By the fact that people are playing games for longer, they've been playing them for longer, but probably in a, in, a, in a density that they would never have played before in their adult life. Um, so the skill level goes up, microtransaction levels go up, saturation of content, demand for more content, uh, boredom with playing the same game over and over again, which you go out of your pattern of, of play. Um, so it puts more stress on the, soft, on the, on the, on the software side to, to go and get that fix back into the, uh, you know, get the next, next content out. Um, so I think you'll probably see that standard of play is, is probably going to be going up with an eSports side. Records broken, blah, 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 all that sort of thing. So I think it's really interesting um, what, what's happened. And I think for, for both the advertising world, it's woken them up to uh, what's going on. It's, you know, the press has been all over the, over the gaming space. Yeah. And, you know, um, so it's, it's benefited us, but I think it's put strain on, on, the, on the gaming side, which it's, it's been an immediate boost, but actually put strain on them a bit further down the line. Yeah, no, John said the same thing, absolutely. Okay, we've got time for another couple of questions. Um, so I would love to ask about examples of gaming that you admire. So um, start with you, John, actually, if you've got any examples of, of ads that you think are great. Of ads that I think are great. Um, I mean, for, for me working in gaming, I, I have to switch off like my agency hat of getting emotional about brand, uh, ads that I like um, because we we just live and die by data, right? So, um, or even or even brands that you think have done well in this. So so you know how whether they've been clever about it. Yeah, so I think I look at it two ways. I think for me, I, I admire brands like entertainment brands, FMCG brands. So brands I work with, people like Unilever like Sony Mobile, who really embraced mobile at an early stage when other brands were thinking um, about some of the, the stereotypes we've discussed. And when I look at how how well they deliver mobile ads now, so it's not just, oh, basically I'm taking my TV ad and I'm putting it in a playable ad, right? And it's the same thing. They're thinking about, you know, location. They're thinking about time of day their ad's showing. And all of that is informing their creative, which is, you know, which is really great to see. Um, I also really admire um, brands, you know, I, I, I'll let Anna will talk about it, but I think brands that understand that rather than just being, you know, a background part of a game, that they are the game, right? And have got, you know, teams and expertise at Anil that are actually taking their brands into the IP space um, and actually really establishing much deeper relationships with consumers rather than just you know, like a rewarded video, not downplaying the importance of ads in games at all. But I think you know, when I look at, you know, who do I admire? So when I look at, obviously, like Endemol, when I look at Hasbro and what they've done in the gaming space with partners like Scopely, for example, um, you know, it, it's incredible the way they've extended their brands and created millions and billions of dollars of additional digital revenue into their business from gaming, right? It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and I think you're seeing more and more of that as obviously COVID is impacting retail and traditional distribution channels that, you know, brands are now looking to gaming to replace that. So, you know, I admire the kind of business innovation of these brands now that are taking gaming to that next level. Thank you. That's, that's, that's great. Um, James, I'm going to go to you next, please. Oh, um, I've admired a few along the way and, and when, when pivoting into this kind of it, it 
I remembered a few. The first in-game brand activation was Zool back on the Amiga. Uh, Chupa Chup, uh, Chupa Chup, however you say it. Um, lollipops on the background. It was quite in your face, uh, to say the least. But as a kid, remember playing it? Didn't bother me in the slightest bit. Then there was Wipeout 2097, um, which was a huge success on the first PlayStation. Those Red Bull had, had banners within the, the, the environment, within the loading screens. It was a really smart activation. That time I didn't really, really understand what even Red Bull was back in 1986, I think it was. Um, that was that drew my attention towards that, that brand when it really started sort of sticking in. Um, then there's, there's been a couple of other ones. I think the, the, you could do it badly. I think if you look at Death Stranding and what they did with, with Monster Energy Drink in there, it was pretty clumsy. If anyone wants to look that up, it's bizarre. Sort of apocalyptic landscape and the only thing that survived is Monster Energy Drinks in uh, odd. Uh, so that's bad example. Good example, fair play to the guys over at, at, at EA with what they did with the, the, the Hunter activation with Coca-Cola. Did like a, an actual press conference. It added to the immersion of, the, of that character. Um, and obviously, we were quite proud of what we did when it came to the, 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 the Stay Home, Save Lives campaign early on um, in, the, in the COVID pandemic, which, you know, that was, that was pretty cool as well. So, yeah, lo loads, of, loads of good examples and a couple of pretty shocking ones as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was that activation was great. Stay at home uh, went everywhere. Um, Anil, you are allowed to talk about Endemol here um, and any others that you want to mention as well. Yeah, I mean... Just picking up on, on what John said specifically, I mean, that's kind of been my bread and butter and expertise for quite a long time now. So, you know, the best way for for a you know a TV show brand that's in people's living rooms, they're in their homes. Um, ideally, they're fans of the show and they're addicted to the shows and they love it. It's like it is a great way of extending those audiences, and it's also it's you know semi it's feeding that desire of the fans as well to kind of go I want to I want to be part of the show, I want to play the show, I want to learn more about it. So, you know, you could be extending narratives uh, around, say with Peaky Blinders, we've got a game coming out shortly with Curve, where, um, you know, it's set between seasons four and five, so you can get a bit more of in-depth kind of feeling about what's going on, new storylines, gives you a bit of a new perspective. And I think brands in this space you know, I've been working hard to get to exploit them, not only for commercial reasons and for creative reasons, but it's um, it's it's just a way to appeal to either fans of the show and to give them what they want, and to create new audiences from people who have played the game but have never watched the show, for example. So for me, that's that's a huge place where you know brands can contribute to the industry, and it's kind of a win-win. Thank you. Right, we are out of time, but I'm going to ask you all, this is going to be a test of your ability to summarise, one sentence to all of you on what is next for the gaming industry, and I'm going to start with John. In one sentence. One <laughs> sentence, just one thing in one sentence. Uh, what, what, what's next for gaming? Um, I mean, for, for me, it's it's esports, um, particularly from a brand perspective. I, I think hyper casual games last year was the, the growth was unbelievable but but this this year for me it has to be esports brilliant thank you anil um i'm gonna be a little bit cheesy but it's, it is more fun more games more higher quality games um 
And I think the industry is just going to go from strength to strength, just generally. You've got a generation of kids, and that, which is huge. They're just playing and watching games from such a young age. Um, it's, it can only only get bigger. Thank you, James. Um, I would say the most exciting part for me is is what is going to happen, who's going to enter the, the gaming market from a cloud gaming perspective and the stitching together of the passive secondary audience and the gamers who are going to become, in my opinion, the, the, the influencers uh, will become the richest entertainers on the planet by quite a long way due to the game mechanics that will be offered up by cloud gaming and it's fair to say that all the major social media platforms expect those guys to be entering into the into the, the, the platform space and not to distant future brilliant thank you and just more commercial um successes i think it's fair to say thank you all that was brilliant um i am now going to hand over to the king um who is jeremy and jenny so thank you very much thank you very much thank you very much what a great and insightful panel thank you very much victoria i don't think i've been called the king for a very long time since I was naughty at school, in fact. At, so least, at, least, <laughs> at least 35 years ago. <laughs> but what a great, thank you very much. What a great panel. Really, really good. If we were in a live environment now, I would have bounded on stage and given everyone a round of applause. So, all those participants out there, make sure you give them a round of applause. A really great session. Um, some really great points for us to segue beautifully into this next piece. Not only is Jenny, the uh, CEO and founder of Appetite Creative Solutions. She's also the host with the most. And we decided that we would pick her brains now because a lot of the conversations that were had, she's been working with clients in the gaming and gamification space. And what would be really nice, Jenny, is to kind of, I suppose, start our conversation by just expanding on, on some of the points that were mentioned. So it'd be really wonderful from your point of view and from with your work with uh, brands in the gamification and gaming space. What is that? What is that real opportunity around both of gaming and gamification? What What are you seeing as the real kind of key drivers in there? Yeah, sure. I think the the ability to be able to get first party data is a big one that's become a lot more important. So since um, you know there's been changes to the GDPR, obviously that's that's had an effect on lists and names and ways to be able to bolster CRMs and understand your 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 users, but also um, you know, there's been a lot of different changes in terms of cookies. And so with the reduction of cookies, GDPR restrictions, being able to actually understand that customer base and have your own fast party data is actually becoming a lot more uh, difficult to be able to come by. So by be being able to create experiences or gamification or gaming ads or whatever you might want to call it, it really does give brands the opportunity to be able to understand their audience a bit better. So. This is the obvious, which is to increase sales, the obvious, which is obviously around increasing awareness, engagement um, and brand loyalty. But I think the new one, which has become much more increasingly important, is really being able to have your own first party data and understand, understand better your audience as well. And that's really interesting because obviously it's a very personal space for a lot of these people as well. They, you know, I've got neighbours here who have teenage teenage children and they've been in their bedrooms during most of lockdown playing various games. But you know, if you speak to them, it's really interesting that some of the activations within these games while they're playing, they, they don't seem that fussed. But it, I suppose it's quite hard because it is such a personal space. How, how, do, how do brands collate that first party data and do it successfully with a great campaign within a game without pissing people off basically 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that you've got to make sure are aligned. I mean, obviously, one of the things that, that that's important is obviously to make sure that the objectives of the campaign is, is aligned with what you're creating and therefore you're going to be able to reach that objective. But um, the other thing is, is really about keeping it simple and keeping it relevant. And both of those two things are really important. Um, you know, keeping it relevant, relevant to trends, um, relevant to what's going on, but also relevant to the game. So, for example, um, you, you can't just pick anything and stick your badge on it and, and hope that that's going to be okay because it's false and, you know, it, it's, it's thinks of advertising, which is what we're not trying to do, is actually engage users in a way that they feel happy to participate and therefore it's a win-win. Um, so, for example, we created something for Starbucks where we... Um, we built upon the trend really, which was the flipper bottle trend. I don't know if you remember flipping the bottle and then you had to get it the right way around and people went crazy on YouTube, like how many people could flip the bottle and all this type of stuff, but it had to, it had to land the correct way up. So we kind of took that trend um, and then we took that um, and turned it into a Starbucks cup, um, which you could then choose your flavor as they were launching new flavors of, um, of, of coffee. And then digitally you have the game to be able to flip the cup of coffee um, flip it the correct way, the right amount of time in 60 seconds, and then you get a 50p off voucher to claim at your nearest Starbucks store. So that was relevant um, and it was definitely simple. So the other thing is trying to keep things simple. You know, the, the big games, Angry Birds, for example, you don't need a degree to be able to understand how to, how to play that or Candy Crush, for example. So keep it simple, um, keep it relevant. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the way to make sure that you're not going to straight people or, or look fools or, or anything like that it's very interesting and, and i love the bit about not looking fools which is which is perfect on that note are there certain sectors of brands that gamification is more suited to or do you think it's it's universal and actually you'd be surprised if you thought you know for example uh, you could see fmcg does a brilliant job in in that space or is starting to do a great job in that space sports companies potentially and, and you can see it with travel but are there other sectors that actually gamification would be great but you don't seem or hear that they're doing that right now yeah i think as well gamification can be used for lots, lots of different things so of course increasing sales and increasing awareness is a big one um but also there's there's gamification in recruitment for example so for you know it engineers or construction companies where they might be looking to get more females or a more, a more diverse audience. Actually using gamification gives people a different way to be able to enter um, and be able to learn about the brand without perhaps going the traditional way because going the traditional way as always, do the same thing as always, you're always gonna get the same results. So if you want to widen your, 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 your base of, of interviewees or, or um, applicants, I should say, then you need to kind of change the way that you're doing things. So gamification can be really good for that. We just did something for Pepsi right now, which is really looking at being able to get in touch with, with graduates. So, you know, how do you actually reach the younger audience, for example? So gamification doesn't always just have to be around um, selling and pushing more of your product, but actually there's different ways that that can be used as well. Yeah, so almost becoming friends with your consumers, absolutely. So driving up that kind of immersiveness within the, within the brand and the consumer. Um, take, taking that point on board, have you, because obviously you're on that creative edge as well, have you seen from brands and the stuff you've worked with, you mentioned PepsiCo and Starbucks, have you seen some really exciting creative going down in, in the gaming and gamification world and you thought actually that, that is spot on, that, that is what people should be doing? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, everything that we're doing, obviously, would, would fit into that category. But other than that, um, you know, there's some really nice things in VR um, and, and augmented reality. Um, McDonald's did a great piece uh, with, with chips, which could uh, limbo on, on your desk, which I thought was really fun. Uh, Borsan, the cheese, did something around um, VR and fresh foods, which was, which was fantastic and fun as well. Um, and of course, all of these things are driving positive experience. And if you have a positive experience, then of course, that drives brand loyalty. And if you're driving brand loyalty, then you're getting all those different things as well. So that's why, you know, there's a lot to it rather than just kind of thinking about, you know, getting sales. But brands who really put a little bit of extra thought into it, Nissan actually did something really nice where they were did something around gaming and sports results and who are your favorite teams. And then they just showed you those teams um, scores every time you saw one of those ads and, and those type of things as well. So kind of bringing something back to the user is, is, is the type of stuff that I think, wow, that looks great. Uh, okay, no, brilliant. And I, I'm, I am conscious we're, we're running into time. As per normal, I tend to drift on a little bit too long, but I could ask you questions all day. I think to beautifully set us up for the next the next conversation, which is around um, esports, I was just going to give you um, some insight. John obviously mentioned earlier that um, esports was his one word for, for driving the industry and, and where gaming and gamification goes next. Um, is that something you're starting to hear and see more from, from clients yourself? The, the, the use of how do we get involved in esports? How can we put uh, our campaigns, how can we get esports into our media and marketing campaigns? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think this year more so um, than, than last, but also with the, with the pandemic and people having much more time on their hands, um, you know, it's social media and it's gaming. How can people entertain themselves and therefore how can brands be where people are? Okay, brilliant. And, and before we go, just because I'm going to try and do this because it'll be the first time we've done it successfully, you'll be pleased to know the audience have been asking questions, Jenny. And uh, I really like this one. Outside of crosswords, what other types of gamification would be good within new publishers' sites? Wow. Wow, that's a great question. There's lots and lots of different um, types of gamification. Um, there's a fun one um, that we just did, um, which was like a Tinder style game. So it was more of a personality test, but using Tinder, swipe left, swipe right. Um, there's lots of different things where you can have bubble popping and um, temple run style games. So there's a whole different range of games that you can use um, other than just crosswords uh, to be able to bring it to life. Fabulous. Well, Jenny, thank you very much for your insight there. Much appreciated. Um, I suppose we move back onto our, onto our final, final conversation of the day. So please stay with us. I promise um, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, thank you very much to Jenny. Thank you very much to the panellists earlier. Our final conversation of the day is actually the natural progression of where we started at the start, which was gaming and gamification. We touched a little bit on esports as we've gone through these various conversations. So to kind of give us some real insight into what is happening in the esports world, what brands are starting to do, what the biggest challenges are, and crucially, I think, what the difference is between gaming and esports, which I know many of you um, still struggle with and actually need to know the difference is Ollie Weingarten, who is the founder of London United. Um, we will sort of delve more into what he does as we go along because you'll see that he's got some, some great insight for that. But welcome, Ollie. Hello, hello, everybody. Hi, Jeremy. Um, he has also a branded hoodie, which is very nice. Uh, today, very merchandise, which is very esports. So, so Ollie, for those who are trying to get to grips and understand gamification, gaming, and esports, how would you 
I suppose, simply describe the difference between gaming, gamification and esports? So I'm glad you said simply because actually I think what I've resolved to do is try and give you short answers so we can try and cover as much content as in quick space. But uh, I think the simplest way of saying is esports is competitive gaming. What do I mean by that? You, may, you and me playing FIFA against each other, we're casually gaming, aren't we? We're not in an organized competition. We're not playing in an organized sanctioned competition by a publisher where we can win money. There is not, it might not be streamed to millions of viewers. If I give you a game like League of Legends, there is an ecosystem, an esports ecosystem for that, in which players are competing competitively. It could be the LEC, the European Championships. It could be the UKLC Championships. It could be the UKL in which London United is in the lowest form of League of Legends sanctioned by the publisher Riot. But these are organized sanctioned competitions where uh, people are playing against each other. And in fact, importantly, actually a lot of these esports players are athletes or trying to be athletes. They're trying to carve a profession out of gaming into competitive gaming. Yeah, well, I love that. And I think that is very, very simple and clear for everyone. They are trying to go for gaming to become professionals. And I, and I suppose the other key difference, Ollie, is that they have an audience, right? So when you're casually gaming, you may have one or two of your family or relatives watching you. But in, in esports, you actually generate your own, your own audiences. Yes, you do. I think as well, you, you talk about gaming and you have to segment the influencers because the influencers might not necessarily be the best esports athletes. But the influencers that are playing the games are there for a reason because they're attracting a huge amount of eyeballs. But then the esports players, um, the eyeballs vary on the title, in all honesty. So from a brand perspective, you, you're taking gaming and I suppose you're putting it on into drugs effectively because you've not only got the game, the publisher, the people that play that, but you've then got the audience as well who you can tap into, who you can talk to, um, who might not necessarily be the athlete but you've got that audience as well as another segment and and obviously during covid and as uh, victoria rightly alluded to the growth in interest because i would say it was the growth in interest in esports has obviously risen um extremely well but and we've seen a lot of brands talk about how do they get esports involved in their campaigns what do they do how do they make it work but it's a lot of talk what do you think are are the biggest the, the biggest barriers to brands entering into esports into real kind of tangible partnerships? Well, I, th I think you raise a lot of points there. I think the first thing is that you say around esports becoming more prominent during COVID is absolutely accurate. Um, I think the second point is that esports has been this buzzword where rights owners and brands have felt that they've had to do esports. So I think James mentioned Formula One earlier, the industry I know very well from working in it. They watched what Formula E did as an early leader in esports, and they've then got into it. The Premier League has done MLS, NBA. Everyone has done an esports activation during COVID because gaming has become so prominent that they've realised there's a niche to fill. Brands, you want to target that audience. You, you know the demographic. It's Gen Z. It's 16 to 25 year olds and up. But young people are really hard to reach using traditional. Uh, marketing mechanisms and you'll know that as best as anyone so it's a case of how can these brands engage in an authentic way and you know we've just heard earlier on about you can't just go with a traditional marketing mechanism because that will not wash with the the audience and whether we're talking about the gaming audience the esports audience it doesn't really matter at this point because they're digitally savvy they know how they want their content they're probably blocking ads and the brands have had to think about how to not just be authentic, but also innovative. 
and also compromise a little bit on what they might normally have done in the sports sector, if they, as an example, where they might have been activating. And, um, you know, with the sports sector, the audience is very used to linear broadcasts, uh, has been for years, potentially is a bit of an older demographic, and they've now had to come and try and engage with a younger demographic, and for all those reasons I've just mentioned earlier about being digitally savvy, the way they like their content in bite-sized form, but having to grapple with how to um, get into it because they know that that is where the future audience is. You know, you've seen brands like Kia come in to League of Legends because that is the future Kia owner potentially. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And you, and you do see some fantastic examples. The, the DHL uh, drone and the go-kart they used at the Dota 2 championships last year was, was quite special as well as it delivered. Yeah, I think as well on that point, um, at the ESL one, I think at one point the fans were shouting DHL, DHL and holding up banners. I mean, that is a dream for whoever came up with that activation at DHL. They should be uh, the CEO by now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they probably are in esports, which which kind of ties nicely into the next question. So we, we talk about that there's genuinely some fantastic opportunities for brands. And I think reading between the lines with what you're saying, I think it's about brands being brave and thinking beyond traditional styles of marketing and media and beyond traditional styles of digital media and marketing and actually having a new mindset of how they approach um, esports which which is which I think is, is really interesting and I, I suppose on the back of that the question is what do you think the esports industry as a sector needs to do to make itself more appealing to brand activations well I mean I would argue that it is appealing already and um, I think what brands are trying to reconcile is at where, which entry point should they go in at. So you could come in with me as a grass, I think a grassroots, I'm an esports org that wants to use esports for social purpose and social issues, but I don't have the huge traction and following that Fnatic has. But that's a completely different price point, and that's a global entity. So I think brands have really got to reconcile amongst themselves. Firstly, what is my target market? What is my demographic? What is the title? I mean, there's a huge difference between doing FIFA and doing Counter-Strike. Um, as you know, the, the age demographic with Counter-Strike is older, for example. FIFA isn't even really seen as a true eSport. It has this ecosystem, but it's not seen as a true eSport. But when you look at the viewing figures compared to Dota, Fortnite, and you know, all those big names that you've heard of. So I think the brands have got to work out what they want to do, because actually I think the eSports industry can be quite flexible and adapt. Certainly, I know that that's my experience. I've worked with brands in the Premier League and Formula One. I've come into esports. I'm almost like, let's, let's start with a clean piece of paper. What is it you want to achieve? We can give you this in inventory, but if it's just about slapping a badge on a top, that's not going to wash for anyone. And I can be as much as I like your money, it's not going to do anyone any favors. So again, you've got to try and think about what it is you want to achieve. Who is the target audience? And are you willing to maybe compromise a little bit on, you know, finance, budget, um, territory, you know, the whole of factors to consider. But I think, I think eSports, just to you know, finish off, I think that the eSports industry is agile enough to adapt and you've seen a plethora of brands from cross sectors come in, which is great endorsement. Yes, no, absolutely. And I, and I think probably one of the key points there is education, right? Is, is saying to them, saying to brands in particular, you know, be brave think about doing things differently, think about the audience you're, you're attracting. And, and I think, you know, the wonderful thing is, which is part of a myth, and we touched on it in gaming, but also equally with esports, this myth of people being sat in a, in a dark room, not doing anything, and, and actually the people 
and the industry itself, there is educational value, right? Um, Ollie, I've seen that you're doing some great stuff in that space when it comes to trying to educate these people, not just on how to play games, but uh, their future, how they conduct themselves. There's uh, a new campaign, and if brands are looking to get involved in social impact, there's there's elements within esports which will allow them to do that. There's elements that will allow them to showcase themselves with, around causes. I know that you're recently looking at how London United works with um, Black Lives Matter and stopping racism around the world. I mean, it's there's, there's, there's that element, I think, that people don't necessarily understand. Yeah, I mean, you've raised a lot again. I think the first thing is that, and we were talking to James about this before we came on live, is that the, the stigma with, of gaming isn't there anymore. Um, you can get a career out of it. And esports athletes now are not those sitting on their bums for 23 hours a day eating buckets of fried food. They are going through, you know, the F1 esports driver, Brendan Lee went through Lewis Hamilton's training regime, shed a load of weight because actually his reactions are now quicker. He's a far better athlete. He's been trained on diet and nutrition. And actually that's the approach I brought into esports as well. Yes, we want to discover some talent and give them that path to pro. But actually what I'm really trying to do is uh, unite gaming with social responsibility. It's not just about health and education. Yes, we've got a nutrition partnership for our League of Legends team. You know, there are a bunch of students competing in the UKEL. We're actually in the, hoping to get into the UKLC. We're in playoffs this weekend. And that's been great for them because they've been given a bit of um, dietary advice. They've been given workouts to do. And actually for the brand, it's managed to unite them or bring them closer to an audience that they've found quite hard to reach. It's not the men's health audience or the, you know, the online audience that's um, been looking at Joe Wicks. It's a very different audience for them, which they managed to reach. I think social issues and brands trying to go in tandem in esports hasn't, um, hasn't made a huge amount of headway. Yes, there are a lot of charity streams for COVID. And yes, some people have spoken out on the toxicity and uh, you know, racism, but we're, we're trying to say, let, let's try and unite gaming with social responsibility. So we're doing a United Against Racism event at the end of August with influencers, um, entertainers from um, other sectors in Dulwich, um, three titles to engage brands in social issues, the gaming community as well to highlight um, a very topical issue and you know, working with a charity to do a five hour live broadcast across three titles. So that's one of the ways that we're trying to address social issues. But I think the more that I speak to people in this sector, the more they're willing to embrace these issues, whether it's anti-racism, diversity, um, even safeguard safeguarding is a huge issue for me because when I've done previous events, I've ended up having to contract, for example, with a 16 year old with a minor. So I'm having to go through his parents and I'm, you know, I obviously was legally trained many years ago. So safeguarding provisions in a contract are very important, but I don't think that is a norm across the industry. So we had a, a discussion with a, a major charity last week about should we come up with a charter that we get, get the esports sector to adopt? Because there is no, again, I'm, I'm straying into another territory. From a governance perspective, esports has seen a, been seen a little bit of a wild west because there's no overarching FIFA um, as there is in football. It's very disparate. So you have the esports integrity coalition, but not everybody's a member of it. So it's a it's incumbent amongst some of the stakeholders to be a bit more proactive. So long story short, that's what we're trying to do. I don't know, I, don't, I think you're absolutely right. That point touches beautifully on, actually, I think that's one of the, the barriers you face from brands, right? Trying to understand, yes, I get, I can connect to this audience, but is it a little unruly? Because the last thing that a brand wants is to work itself 
with a particular team, for example. And within that team, there's a there's a player potentially could go rogue and on their social feed has certain views that don't align to, to that brand. So I, I, is that a barrier you've come across so far? It's not a barrier I've come across yet because my gamers haven't had the profile. But I can tell you with the influencers that we're using for United Against Racism, you know, Joe Morris, big FIFA gamer, has got two and a half million subs on YouTube. We're talking to a boxer, we haven't announced him yet. We do have a look and check their profiles and check whether there's anything that would put off a brand because we have a deck that we're shipping out to brands at the moment, offering them you know, partnerships at various levels. And we're very aware that if there's a red flag there, that that's, that's the end. There's no conversation starter. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and interestingly, the conversation with Jenny earlier, we talked about first party data as well, being part of that whole package for brand. In the esports world, I'm, I'm presuming there's an opportunity to, you know, tenfold that first party data because you've not only got the, the team, the players, you've also got the, the audience who are watching said tournaments, said teams. Yes, but I think you're at the, the behest of the publisher or the streaming sites. It depends how you're involved in, in the ecosystem. You know, we had 79,000 unique viewers for our League of Legends trials in May. We've now got that team in the UK, as I said. But, you know, apart from knowing a little bit about you know, where they might be, and probably not even their age, we don't get a huge amount of information from Twitch. So it's incumbent upon me to try and drive people to my platform so I can get that first party data because I know that that is what the brands are all wanting. But we've, we've created enough data over the last year with physical events that we've held for tryouts and then online events this year that we can start to say the majority of our demographic is in that 16 to 25 and then you know let's say 40 percent is in the next bracket up and and kind of capitalizing on the amazing pr that has certainly been on esports over the last three or four months what does the esports industry need to do to really i suppose if you like take advantage of the of the publicity and the profile that the sector has received what, what what would if you could wave a magic wand what what would that wand look like for the entire sector i, I think there's a few things i think I, I have a challenge with fundraising and i think esports isn't that well understood in this country compared to asia and the us but if i take myself out of that i think professionalism is the key I don't want to tell tales on experiences that I've had in my uh, short career in esports, otherwise it could be very short. But I think that the whole ecosystem has got to professionalize and it's doing a bloody good job. But I think that where there are maybe, um, let's say less professional activities, they reflect badly on everybody. And esports, I said earlier, has got a little bit of a reputation of being the wild west. And I think that's slightly unfair. And I think esports has come down in great strides over uh, certainly the last couple of years. And certainly since I've been involved, I've met some great stakeholders. And a lot of people from outside of gaming and esports have come into this ecosystem now from traditional sports, from broadcasters. And I think that could only help. Yeah, absolutely. And that can only help with the understanding of this sector for brands. Because it, it is still a scary space. And, I, and from what we've discussed here, I think the brands definitely need to be brave, but to be brave is not a risk. It's it's being brave, but being sensible in terms of what esports can provide. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, I, I did a deal with Chipotle last year. The fastest growing restaurant chain in the US have done nothing in esports in this territory. They've done quite a lot outside of it. 
and said, look, come and dip your toes in. See what works. So you start by you know, providing food if you can at events, two for ones on our website for registrants, then to start doing a bit of digital content and see how it grows and see what works. And you know, that's an approach that it's certainly, I can adopt because I'm far more flexible, but then at the top end, you know, when you want the instant eyeballs, the instant traction, it, it can be a little bit more of a challenge. Brilliant. And finally, what do you think for the next the next 12 months of esports? Where do you think it's going? What's the? We talked about professionalism, which is which is great, and it looks like people are starting to talk to come together, which is which is what you want. But where where do you see esports going in the next 12 months? Um, I, I, there's a great slide that I put in my deck that was the esports market is going to be worth. Um, 970 billion dollars this is from Yuzu by the way in 2020 and uh, I don't know what it's going to be in 12 months but in three years it's going to be worth 1.59 billion dollars apparently so pro rata that and it's going to be bloody big <laughs> well thank you very much Ollie and I think Jenny I might have actually finished on time which is good uh, if anyone has any questions I'm sure you can put it in the Q&A and Ollie will happily answer them for you but um, thank you very much Oliver much appreciated thank you to everyone who's spoken so far and uh, and to you as well Jenny I will uh, hand over the reins to you so you can close out uh, thank you very much for having us yeah I mean that leaves me to say a very big thank you to all the guests John James Anil and Victoria to Oliver and of course to you Jeremy um, the recording will be available on YouTube in the next few days and we'll send out some notifications around that. It will be available as a podcast. Um, you'll be able to download that from Spotify and um, from Apple. We're under the Talking Giraffe series. Um, and then a big thank you to everyone who's attended. Um, you know, big thanks to, to you guys. Thank you for the questions. Please do pass them any feedback or any other topics that you'd like us to cover in our upcoming sessions. Um, we do have another session planned for August. It's looking at healthcare and how to overcome the challenges in the digital world. So keep an eye out for that. Um, there'll definitely be some notifications on social. Um, and that just leaves me to wish you all a very fantastic rest of the day. Thank you to everyone. Bye.